This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Well, kids, this is your cue to you dismissed to Children's Church. Miss Jenny will meet you back there to take you to your classrooms. Well, good morning, New City. My name is Ryan Zhang. I'm one of the pastors here in New City. You all look very nice today. Maybe it's the light. Maybe there's something special about today. But you all look great, even the men. Also, I want to compliment you for all your love and cooperation and trust for each other. You have been very good at keeping your mask on for the last 10 to 11 months. I know it's uncomfortable. It's you know, awkward, but thank you. The end is in sight, so keep up the good work. Those are beautiful masks, by the way. Um, but lastly, you're also very kind, very, very kind. I know that because you've cared for my family a ton through the last six months as Abigail go through, goes through cancer treatment. So thank you. We'll never forget how much this family has done for us. And I know that you're caring for each other as well. I know that's a beautiful sign that God is working in this community. We should never take that for granted. Now, why am I so nice today? Well, first, I really, really meant it, all of it, especially our appreciation for your support. But second, you may have noticed, sometimes I say nice things at the beginning because of some hard things to say at the end. So I just want you to know that you are loved. So Acts 15, it's a debate about whether people should be circumcised. And if you're visiting with us for the first or second time, we don't talk about circumcision all the time in New City, okay? It's just only on Mother's Day. <laughs> but this debate has been settled for over 2,000 years. Why are we looking into this? Well, first, it's the turning point in Acts. This debate comes at the dead center of the book of Acts. Prior to this, most of the church activities took place among the Jews. But after this debate, the church mission moved to the Gentiles. Now, prior to this, Peter has been the main character in this book. But after his speech here, Paul takes over because he's the apostle to the Gentiles. We can even say that Paul would not have the same success he had with the Gentiles, or we would not be reading, studying the words of Paul if this debate had gone the other way. Now, second, the reason we are looking at this chapter is because it affects us. That this debate demonstrates for us what it means to be a community of brothers and sisters from different cultures. And because the problem is not just about circumcision, it's about, it's a religious problem that turns into a cultural problem, that turns to our problem, especially in this series as we look at cross-cultural missions. It's a religious problem that turns into a cultural problem that turns into a, our problem. So let's look at these problems one at a time. So in the center of this debate in Acts 15 is a religious problem should the Gentiles be circumcised as they come into the Christian faith? This is also the main question that Paul writes about in the letter to the Galatians. Should the Gentiles be circumcised as they come into the Christian faith? If you read through Acts, you kind of see this question kind of bubbling up on the horizons. You may think of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, and then Cornelius in Acts 10, and all the Hellenist converts in Antioch in Acts 11, all the Gentile converts through Paul in Acts 13 and 14 and how to incorporate these pagans 
into the Christian faith because some people from Judea, that's the people from headquarters in Jerusalem, and they were historically known as the Judaizers. They claim that unless you're circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, this may seem foreign to you, but it makes a lot of sense back then because Christianity came out of Judaism. Jesus was a Jew who lived under Jewish laws. All the apostles were Jews. Paul himself was a, was a Pharisee. In fact, the Roman government for, the very, for a very long time did not recognize Christianity as its own religion. They thought it was a branch of Judaism, that the Jews just had a small squabble about this man named Jesus. So when Gentiles became Christians, it's natural to assume that they must also become Jews first. Just like you don't become an alum of a school unless you first became a student there. The Gentiles have to become Jews first become, before they become Christians. And what's this initial requirement to become a Jew? It's this painful and bloody process called circumcision for both kids and adults. And kids, if you don't know what circumcision is, feel free to go home and ask your parents. Or ask Pastor Brian, he's sitting right in the back right there. It's a huge barrier for people who want to come into the Jewish faith. In the New Testament, there's this category of people called God-fearers. Like the centurion in Luke 7 who came to Jesus to ask for healing for his servant. Or Cornelius in Acts 10 and the Gentiles in Acts 13. These are the people who worship Yahweh, the one true God of the, whole, the, Old, the Old Testament. But they did not make the jump to get circumcised. So they were kind of like this second-class believers in Judaism. They believed, but not really. What happens to these Gentiles when they start following Jesus? Do they remain second-class believers below the Jews? Or could they become equal brothers and sisters, co-heirs of Christ? Of course, it's not just the physical pain of circumcision. It's the full package. The party of the Pharisees rose up and said in verse 5, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the laws of Moses. Paul writes in Galatians, every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. We're not talking about the Ten Commandments. That's good for everybody. We're talking about all the ceremonial laws and dietary restrictions, like about what's clean, what's not clean, what to eat, what not to eat, the full package. It's a lot. That's why the Apostle Peter says, says to Judaizers in verse 10, Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our father nor we have been able to bear? Now before we go on to talk about how they resolve this debate, let me pause here. Talk about elephants. Okay? Can I talk about that? You may think about these Jews and Christians being so bigoted and backward, you know, talking about boundaries and, and exclusions. And the truth is, all religions have their own distinct boundaries that exclude people. For example, Buddhism says we should not eat meat. Judaism says that you can only eat certain type of meat. Christianity says you can eat everything. That's why I like being a Christian, because I love seafood. But these are more than just food preferences. Now, because Buddhists believe in reincarnation, an ant may have been a pig in the previous life, a turkey may become a man in the next life, 
Therefore, we should have mercy on all lives. Well, of course, the Jews and the Christians hold a different view of God and creation. That affects what we eat. So when people say all religions teach the same thing, you know, they're probably not that religious because if you only scratch past the surface, you will see pretty major differences. Or some people say different religions are just like blind men touching an elephant. You know, one guy grabs the tail and thinks the robe, and one guy touches the body and thinks the wall, and one guy grabs the leg or the trunk and thinks the tree. But they're all just getting part of the picture. But that analogy is also flawed because for any of us to make that observation, we have to be an outsider standing far back, away, far enough to at least assume the outsider position, see the full elephant and see the blind man touching the elephant. But none of us, nobody in this world could stand back and assume that outsider position. And here's one thing about this analogy. The elephant talks. The elephant talks. He says to all of us, I am an elephant and I love you. This is how you should get to know me. I was reading through Leviticus a while back and after pages and pages of dietary laws about what's clean, what's not clean, and you kind of expect God to give an explanation, you know, why, why certain things are the way they are. But we only see the phrase over and over again, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord which means I'm Yahweh, I'm different, I'm distinct, I'm true, and this is how you should get to know me and worship me. Now, all religions have their distinct markers, and here in Acts 15, we see the apostles figuring out how their new faith is distinct from all the religions because of Jesus. They're defining the boundaries of this new faith, and these are religious boundaries that cannot be compromised. Notice how the apostles settle this debate. Now, first we see... Peter rises up and shares his experience. Presumably, he's talking about his conversation with Cornelius in Acts 10. He says at verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. If God chose to send the Spirit to them and cleanse their hearts just as he did for us, then who are we to add an extra burden? He concludes in verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Then in verse 12, Paul and Barnabas related to what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. You can read Paul's opinion about this in the book of Galatians, but essentially Paul agrees with Peter here. Look at what God is doing among the Gentiles. If God did not care whether they become Jews or not, then why should we? And then at the end, James, the brother of Jesus, Wiley considered the leader of the Jerusalem church, he makes his argument by quoting Amos from Old Testament, saying that the inclusion of the Gentiles have always been God's plan from the beginning. Now notice they didn't take a poll to see what's popular among themselves. They didn't look inside to see how they feel about this. Peter and Paul talked about the works of the Holy Spirit. James justified his argument by the Old Testament. They look at the works of God and the words of God. And they came to the conclusion that circumcision is no longer a religious marker for Christianity. Do you know what, how hard it is for these Jews to make that judgment? It's like Harvard saying that you no longer need to be smart to get in. Or like the Reds saying that you don't need to know baseball to be part of the team. Or it's like New City saying you no longer need to love coffee to be part of this church. 
kidding, mostly. But then how radical, that's how radical Christianity is. It's one major reason why I believe in Jesus, because he transformed a Pharisee like Paul to fight for something he rejected for years and years and years. Now Paul writes about this in Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, that means all of us Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. No longer the blood of the circumcision that marks us off as God's people. It's the blood of Jesus. We are God's people, not by the works of the law, but by faith in God's grace. The marks of our community is not circumcision, but baptism. Now, do you notice how this change in sacraments beautifully reflect the gospel? We're proclaiming that because Jesus shed his blood on the cross, we don't have to shed ours. Jesus' blood is sufficient to cleanse us. That's not all. Paul goes on to write, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, that is the Gentiles and the Jews, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance. And he might create himself one new man in place of the two. Now, in Jesus' death, he redeemed both the Gentiles and the Jews, and in his resurrection, he brought both of them into a new creation. We are fellow citizens of the new creation, and the animosity of the old world is gone. You know, I'm from China. If in the future, America and China ever goes to war against each other, you are still my brothers and sisters because we're part of God's new creation. And at this point, I talked about circumcision. I talked about the gospel. You may be ready for me to end the sermon here. But hold on a minute. I haven't gotten to the real awkward part yet. Because Jesus turns this religious problem into a cultural problem. And that's where it hits us most deeply. It's not that we don't know the gospel, but we may not understand how to fully live it out. Remember, circumcision is not just a religious marker, it's also a cultural marker. The debate about circumcision is also a question of identity. Should the Gentiles become culturally Jewish? The circumcision is the cultural markers that gives the Jews power in this faith and makes all the Gentiles second-class believers. And for these Jewish apostles, you expect them to at least protect their privilege by requiring other people to assimilate into their culture, right? You can be part of the circle as long as you become one of us. But the consensus is an emphatic no, nine. Do you, do you recognize how big that cultural sacrifice is? The Gentiles far outnumber the Jews. Just an example, you know, within the next few years, the center of the, Jew, the, the, the church shifted from Jerusalem to Antioch, and then to Rome, to Northern Africa, to Asia Minor, to Europe, to America, and now to China and the Global South. I mean, even though Christianity was born out of Jerusalem, Jewish converts became a tiny minority in this global church. And for the sake of their missions, the apostles took a hard look at their faith and removed all the unnecessary cultural barriers that keep people outside or as second-class believers. That's exciting. That's the exciting thing about world missions, and I see this happening as I work with churches in China. Now, whenever Christianity enters the new culture, like here in Acts 15, it forces us to reflect on what are the essential things. What are the things about our faith and what are the things we, cannot, we must hold on to? And what are the things that we can let go? 
That's super exciting because it purifies our vision of God's grace. And we also get a chance to see how the gospel blesses and challenges other cultures. That doesn't mean that Christianity has no boundaries. And after the apostles make their judgment, they wrote a letter to the Gentiles. And here's what it said in the letter, verse 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. But these requirements are still true for us today. As Christians, we hold on to a very different type of sexual ethics than what is accepted by the world. That marker set them apart in ancient Rome and will set us apart here in our world. What about these food restrictions? If the Gentiles no longer need to become Jewish, then why did apostles ask them to observe the food restrictions? Now that touches on this distinct marker of Christianity. It's love. And for the early church, the Gentiles kept these restrictions not to fulfill the law, but to protect a loving community. They abstained from these foods so that they won't offend their Jewish brothers and sisters. They're now one family. Respecting each other's culture demonstrated their love and humility. No sexual ethics and loving community. The apostles uphold these requirements because they make us distinct as a new creation. But the apostle also removed all the necessary cultural barriers to make it easier for the Gentiles to come in. No more circumcisions, no more works by the law. You are loved and accepted as the Gentiles' brothers and sisters. This is the point I want to bring home to us here in New City. Because this is where their cultural problem becomes our problem. We know what makes us unique as God's new creation. As Presbyterians, we're pretty good at drawing boundaries, religious boundaries at least. But do we recognize the cultural barriers that, we, that keep people from be, being part of our community? Do we recognize how much we really require people to assimilate into our cultures before we fully let them in? When we go on missions, what cultural barriers do we export with our own white evangelicalism? Now, these are not just barriers we set up to keep other people from being part of our community. These are also barriers that keep us from fully living out as New creation. Because being God's new creation is not just about individual holiness. It's a communal reality. This may include how we Americans, how we look at our churches, how the church fit in American politics, or how we view gender roles in the church and our families, or how we look at our money, how we parent our kids. Many of our approaches seem so normal to us. We may assume that's the correct way to live out the faith, only to realize some of these things are just cultural markers of white American, American evangelicalism. Let me give you a more specific example. Christianity and white American identity. Many of you have heard my conversion stories. You know, I describe my conversion as 20% curiosity and 80% peer pressure. Because I was part of a group in Young Life in Fairview High School. All of my friends were white, most of them from conservative Republican families. And I thought the only way I could fully fit into that group is to become a Christian, because this is America's religion. 
Now, I had learned the language. I had learned the history of this, church, this country. I had crushes on white girls. And becoming a Christian would complete my conversion to be American. And notice I'm talking about white middle-class Americans. That was what I thought was normal. You know, being Asian wasn't an asset. It was an inconvenience. And that was just the beginning of it. Because once I was in, I was encouraged to be wild at heart. And when girls wouldn't go out with me, I needed to kiss dating goodbye. And when I really had trouble dating, I was told it's because I didn't fit the typical strong, confident, rugged American manhood. I mean, thank God for Jane Austen for providing some counterbalance in the church, right? But that came with its own problems too. And in those days, I would meet Christians from other cultures, and I thought I, would, I was better than them. Not because I'm more Christian, but because I was more white. Look, God works in mysterious ways, and that's how he brought me into the faith. But it would take me years to disentangle what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and what it meant to be, try to be white. And I love this country, but becoming a Christian so that I could be more American seems like a bad trade-off. And you know what the government in China says about Christianity right now to turn Chinese people away? They say Christianity is American religion. It's unpatriotic to become a Christian in China. And to a certain extent, they're not wrong because the gospel we share with them is often a fusion of the white evangelicalism and Christianity. And over the years, many people have asked me, what are some, of the, well, some examples of cultural barriers? And I listed a few earlier, but I don't have an exhaustive list. What I can tell you is to open your eyes to the global church. And we see the Holy Spirit working around the world and people from all tribes and tongues following the word of God. There's a global communion of saints that can teach us how to live as new creation in this world. Let's lean into this community. We had a Pakistani brother read scripture for us just now in Urdu. You're closer to him than your unbelieving biological brothers at home because they are the people who will be with us when Revelation 7 happens. Now, I don't know all of us think it's cool to listen to people do our scripture readings in different languages. But do we have the humility to really hear what they're saying? And that's why I do translation work with China Partnership. Because I wanted American churches to see how people follow Jesus from cultures that are very different from us. Now, what about us here in New City? How are we doing? Undeniable. Almost everyone I talk to agree that we are a welcoming community. There's warmth here. People are friendly. We love one another. That's a great thing. And my family have, and I have been tremendously blessed by this deep, by, by our deep community. We can't be more grateful. But sometimes I wonder if our community makes a little bit too much sense. We are mostly young, middle-class, white families or singles. Other than Jesus, there are plenty of other things that keep us together. If you leave here, these may be the same type of friends we have in other circles. Earlier, I joked about coffee. Let me use that as a minor example. Most of us love coffee. We serve good coffee here in New City. We serve artisan coffee. 
We invest a lot of money and energy to make sure it's good. It's part of our hospitality culture. But what about those people who don't like coffee? What about people who only like tea? Well, they feel like second-class members here because they haven't been baptized into our coffee culture. Now, coffee is a great thing. It's our strength. But we need to recognize this is a conscious choice that we made that could exclude other people. And we may need to use a disproportionate amount of resources to make sure this small minority of tea people feel included as well. But it's worth it because we are family. Now, of course, coffee is just a minor example. There are many people here who come from very different cultures. Do we have the sensitivity to see them and recognize how far they have come to fit in here? Do you ever ask what sacrifices have they made to be here, here in this country, also here in New City? Because I could confidently tell you, unless we learn to hear their stories and learn about their cultural struggles, we won't learn to, we won't know how to truly love them. Here in Acts 15, we see the apostles holding firm to what makes them distinct as followers of Jesus, but also removing cultural barriers for the sake of their missions, even making huge sacrifices to welcome the Gentiles into their community. It's the works of God's Spirit to bring the Gentiles into the church. But the apostles had the humility to prepare the soil for this diversity. Now, I would love to see New City become more diverse. And I pray that God would give us the humility to prepare the soil for that, to see and remove unnecessary cultural barriers, to learn to care for people who are different from us, to appreciate their presence and celebrate their cultures. And let's have our own Acts 15 moment. This will not be easy, just like the early church stumbled through a lot of mistakes. But the blood of Jesus has brought us together. We are all part of God's new creation. Now let me share one last thing about New City. One of our best experiences in New City has been our community group a couple years ago. There's a strange mix of people. There was Abigail and I, a mixed Chinese Caucasian family with two little kids, four unmarried adults, two white, two blacks, another mixed Asian white dating couple, a retired couple who married in their 40s, a young, white, newlywed couple, and finally, a nearly empty nester couple from Africa who grew up in two different tribes. This is not a group of people who would naturally get together for drinks on a Friday night. But here we were, being held together by our common love for Jesus. We laughed and loved each other every week. And I pray that you would get a chance to experience that as well. You join me in prayer. Father, we're grateful for the example of the apostles set for us, the humility they have to remove the barriers for Gentiles to come in so that we could come into the church, be part of your kingdom. Father, we pray that you would give us the same humility as well to set the soil, to prepare the soil for the spirit to work among, our, to work among us, to bring people in who are different from us, teach us to love them, and to serve them and celebrate them, celebrate, celebrate their presence among us, to call them brothers and sisters. Help us to live out what it looks like in Revelation 7, here in New City, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all these in Jesus' name.
Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.